Hi, you are listening to Inquiries into Mathematics. I'm Robin Perkins. And I'm Shanna Anderson. And in this episode, we are going to discuss an article that we both recently read from NCTM. It was actually from last year, I believe, right? I think it was, uh, yeah, 2020. And it's written by Brandy Wade, and it's titled Supporting LBGTQ Plus Students in K-12 Mathematics. Um, So Robin and I have actually been going back and forth through email about this article. We found a lot of things super interesting um, and have spent some time even defining some terms for us and really better understanding uh, the kind of aspects within supporting LBGTQ plus students in the classroom. Uh, One of the things we were talking about a little bit before we decided to jump onto our podcast Um, was really the idea of teachers being more inclusive and more supportive of their students um, beyond just that start of the year asking pronouns and affirmative posters and, um, you know, really making that step to change their their classrooms and their math. So I don't know if you want to bring in one of the things that you were thinking about when you wrote that in the email to me. Yeah, sure. So um, I know in the article it does want to push teachers a little bit past that. Um, Just sticking with those, you know, asking of pronouns or that supportive poster. But for me, I think for teachers, if they don't know where to start, asking students what their pronoun um, or the pronoun they they prefer to be used, um, that is a good place to start. I think that that's just as powerful as asking students how to correctly pronounce their name. You know, it's showing that you value who they are, they, you value how they identify and you care about them. So is it the best way to queer mathematics? No, not necessarily, but I think it's a starting point. As well as, you know, that, that affirmative poster. It just also kind of, um, again, shows students that the teacher cared and maybe Um, If a a student maybe is struggling with um, their gender or their sexuality and and if a teacher does have, I don't know, maybe like um, a pride flag hanging up or a poster about like inclusivity, that student might find that teacher to be like an ally or like a a safe person to talk to. So you never know where those minor, um, those minor things can go. And I think that's a big part of what she was talking about in the beginning of the article, you know, these non-content specific approaches to supporting our LGBTQ plus students. Um, One of them being really asking pronouns, making sure that we have those affirmative posters up, you know, say this, not that, even supporting our own shifts in our language. And then also something that struck me in that same section was her use of the idea of mirrors and windows. You know, I talk about this a lot in literature, right? Like we, we want our literature, literature that we present to our students to not only be mirrors of, their, of themselves so they can see themselves in the stories and in, in the fiction and both fiction and nonfiction that they experience, but also that there's windows to the world, right? Like what else is out there? Um, and that's a big part of all contents, right? Like those windows to the world. But like in mathematics, thing that gets often forgotten of really the the lack of windows that gets represented in mathematics. She gave us a couple of those examples, right, of those uh, 
boy girl problems or the, the prom dates. You know, if there's this many boys and this many girls, how many prom dates are there? Or how many possible combinations? Um, you know, it let it, it opened my eyes to the idea that we really aren't giving the windows to the gender differences that do exist in our world. No, I agree. And I think that, you know, those, those problems like that, the ones that, you know, you mentioned as far as like how many boys or how many girls, um, or, you know, in the beginning of the article, it's a, um, a problem about a school dance and um, how many couples would there be? And of course it's assuming that the couples are boy girl couples. And, um, you know, I think you mentioned this before, like if you don't fit into that, if you know, you know, you want to go to the prom and if, you know, if it's a girl and they know their, their date, they want their date to be a girl, how do they feel reading this problem? You know, how do they feel about themselves? Um, I'm sure they would feel excluded. So how, what can we do to shift um, our mindset as, as math teachers um, to make a more inclusive environment? And I think that that's what, what needs to happen. And that actually makes for a richer math problem too. You know, I, I think she talks about that in the article, right? Like this idea of noticing and wondering, which is a great, um, you know, strategy out of um, making thinking visible out of uh, Project Zero, where they do this, you know, see, think, wonder or notice wonder. And again, cross-discipline, any, really any content area it can go into, but it can really be used in mathematics to support um, it, the math problem, not just being about, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, whatever, like the, ca the calculation aspect of things, but really the, the interpretation of what the problem is. So doing some sort of notice and wonder with problems like that also allows you to see what your students are seeing in the problem, um, getting their own, like you mentioned earlier, their kind of input and what they feel about the words that are being expressed in that problem, how that might reflect who they are, who it might not. Uh, and then it also makes the math a little more rich, right? Like you could do the problem a little differently than I could based on how I noticed it. Um, my wondering could be different than yours. So it also opens up math, math a little bit. It makes it more about the process rather than the product. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And um, yeah, so I mean, I'm just going to read the problem that's given in the beginning. It just says that the school dance, there are X boys and Z girls, and there are more boys than girls. How many different possible couples for dancing are there? So I wonder if it could just be like, like one way, just take out that X boy and Z girl and just say how many students there are, you know? I know in our email exchange, you mentioned like, um, different ways to phrase this problem and then doing like a gallery walk oh, yeah. Um, yeah I don't know if you want to say more about that like how you like envision that I don't remember writing that but it's oh, a great I, I thought it was great it's <laughs> <laughs> a great idea um I, no, I do I, I think that would be a great idea I have to think about what I was saying but yeah I um I probably would do that I would probably have done like a notice wonder what do you notice about the problem what do you wonder what's what's the context like she has those questions on um on page 180 I mean 882 but I would probably have just started with the notice and wonder and then from there like let's rewrite the problem what could it look like um and then 
having kids go around gallery walk and possibly solve the different types of problems that they had. I think that's what I was thinking, uh, you know, rewriting it, that it's not just in terms of males and females, but rather uh, different aspects of the problem and then giving kids the opportunity to, to comment and, and maybe even solve it in different ways. Right. And I think that like one of the things is, you know, teachers are busy and a lot of times they want like things that are like kind of like quick and easy, you know? Um, so the math in this problem that's given is going to be a little bit easier because it's set numbers, you know, they're, all the information is given. Um, there's a clear, you know, there's a clear answer, but by being more creative with it, you're right. It makes the math so much richer. Um, and a while ago, someone said to me, you know, are you, I think I, I heard maybe an administrator say to a teacher, are you know, are you doing what's best for you or what's best for your students? And like, I think that this is one of those things where like, yeah, it might be best for the teacher if it's a cut and dry problem, easy answer, but think of how that teacher could be growing his or her students by doing such like an open-ended question. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think um, the discourse that comes out of that, both from a mathematical sense, but also, you know, from just kind of giving our students the opportunity to question what's in front of them, you know, being, being inquisitive learners, which is probably, you know, probably defined under one of those mathematical practices um, is really important. Um, and it, it isn't really just about the, the math problems that are given to us in the book. It's, it's also about the kids that are in front of us and, and, in, you know, infusing those mathematical practices. You know, something that uh, Brandy Wade had mentioned in the beginning of her article was her kind of moment and, and the reflection that she went into at that moment when those students said, well, is it just a boy and girl couples, or I forget exactly what it said in the beginning of the article, but she says at the beginning of that article that that moment with her students made her question her own, like reflect on her own identity and the ways that that her queer identity became irrelevant in relation to her math identity. And that, that really struck me because it goes back to that idea of, of mirrors, like you said before, that if, a, if somebody did want to ask a girl to the prom or to the dance, you know, or somebody of the same sex, I should say, not just a girl, because I was thinking a girl in my head because we're talking about Brandy, mm-hmm. how, she, how that person would feel reading this problem. You know, and that they would begin to feel that their queer identity is not quote unquote normal or that it's not, it is irrelevant in not only just in mathematics, but possibly in, you know, K-12 education, um, you know, in parochial education for that matter. Yeah, and I'm just going to read actually like part of that article like that you're referencing where, um, so after, you know, she poses the problem, um, she writes, uh, my students' questions hit me like a brick. I managed to respond, how would you define a couple? Because, you know, the student questioned that. Another student snapped, a couple is any two people, male or female. That is the only way anyone should define a couple. And I think that's, you know, what you're talking about. That's when she starts, like, kind of, like, 
um, thinking about what she, how she feels with, with her own identity. Um, and then she goes into saying how that could have been like the perfect teachable moment, you know, and, and she didn't, she didn't use it. And I feel like we have those moments as teachers where you like kind of like go back in your mind and you're like, oh my gosh, I could have said this or I could have said that, you know? But I think by um, doing more um, of queering mathematics, we're kind of hopefully setting teachers up for that mindset. So you have like less of those moments that you might regret later on, you know? Yeah. And you're right. We have those moments often where you miss out on those teachable moments because we're so, we're, you know, we're on our track, right? Like here's our, you know, this is how we're getting from point A to point B today. And yeah, I'm going to probably go off track a little bit, but when somebody says that, or when, you know, something happens that really is those great teachable moments, it's way off the track that you're like, ah, how do I even respond right now? And she even mentions that in there, like, you know, coming out to, you know, her, her students, um, at that moment, you know, is this, is this what she was really, you know, thinking about at that time? And you're right. It could have been a great teachable moment. Um, and it could also have, you know, been something that didn't work out as well. Cause when you're not as planned, you don't articulate it as, as confidently as you want to, but this article brought me into both aspects of querying mathematics, right? Like, and I think, I think I mentioned that in one of the emails that it really is thinking about, we looked this up before, but I guess the cisgender or heteronormative kind of aspects of the actual math, right? The written, the word problems, um, the way that the textbooks are structured, the way that math is structured. Then it also queers it in a, an idea of questioning, like we talked about in one of our first podcasts and the inquiry into mathematics. And that's in that last part of her, of this article, from like 881 on, where it's really about how do we engage mathematical inquiries beyond that gender and sexuality, but really getting kids, getting students to question the math, to question mathematics and bring it into the real world and bring it into their world. And that's where she talks about the notice and wondering and what other genders are there, you know, what would you consider uh, you know, would, what would considering other gender identities look like in this problem? I think that's where I was coming at with the gallery walk of problems. Mm. So I really liked the, the article, I think, from both ends, from how can we change the wording so that we're not just depicting uh, the stereotypical things that we're noticing in our world, and how can we, as our students and as colleagues and as teachers, um, really question mathematics and question the, the the aspect of the context and content. I'm actually really glad, um, glad you brought that up because on 882, she talks about how, you know, kids by nature, I feel like are inquisitive and are always asking questions and want to know why something happened, how something happened, what's going on. And, you know, and it says like, you know, somewhere along the way that stops for kids. And I notice in math classes, a lot of times if a teacher does say like, why, or, you know, anytime a student has to explain themselves, they're kind of like struggling, you know, or they're, they're not even um, necessarily asking why. So by, by querying mathematics, you know, we want that, um, that exploration piece to come back into math where um, it's not just like 
short answers, you know, um, math facts or things like that. Like those are important and they have a place, but let's get into like the other part of math, the nitty gritty, the, like, like we're saying, you know, the questioning, the, um, the exploration of it, the notice and the wonder. Yeah. She refers to two different articles, which I'd love for us to, to kind of look at. And maybe that'll be another podcast, but her article weight with uh, Turner, I guess. And then she talks about the Rand's article, which I actually think Rand's was on one of our lists from the beginning of ones that we wanted to read. I believe so, yeah. And I, I think those would be two to really think about because they are those two you know, different aspects of queering mathematics. Um, you know, bringing in the world into mathematics through questioning and uh, you know, shifting power structures and um, and questioning those shifts and acknowledging our students' cultures and lived experiences and the idea of funds of knowledge. You know, that whole aspect of querying mathematics through just um, encouraging students to, to question it and to make it more relevant for them and their worlds. Right. Because when you also, when you just pose the questions like, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Students may think of something that you never would have considered. Like actually that happened to me today. I was doing a workshop with teachers and we did um, an activity, which one doesn't belong. I'm not sure if you've seen that before. So Those are awesome. yeah. Um, so we just wanted like teachers to do, do like basic math and just to teach them how like powerful those small activities can be. And there was one that I actually, I put it in the slide myself. I've seen this, which one doesn't belong so many times. And a teacher pointed something out that I had never noticed before. So like by asking, what do you notice? What do you wonder? It could open not only the teacher's eyes, but the student's eyes to another perspective based on how that student is seeing things. You know, like you said, they're funds of knowledge. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think we might underestimate what students are capable of or what they're observing, what they're seeing. Um, and like I said, it could open, it could open the class's world to um, so many things. Definitely. And she ends the article really eloquently with um, referring to somebody that I, I've actually followed on Twitter before who writes, um, you know, we must no longer depend on the outness of LBGTQ plus educators and students to determine the need for inclusion in our learning spaces. Um, as a community, we're responsible for inclusion and making our LGBTQ plus students feel seen, heard, and affirmed. And I think that, again, bringing back to the beginning of mirrors and windows, you know, we don't, we, we shouldn't require our students, and, and your first thing of pronouns, you know, asking the pronouns is a really great way to start, but we don't, we also don't know how a kid might feel at that moment and feel outed, right? So we could, we can't just rely on everybody saying their, um, you know, their assigned birth pronoun, right? Or, or what they, what they identify as, as their pronoun um, at that moment. But we, so we are responsible for the inclusion of other aspects 
and of making those students feel seen and heard and, and affirmed, like she writes here. Um, and we talked about, I talked about the curriculum, you know, it's, are we going to have in-depth conversations about what it means to be, to be, um, you know, different gendered or transgendered or uh, gender fluidity? Probably not, right? Like we're not going to have these in-depth conversations with our students at those moments. And that's probably not the place for it, um, you know, at any given time in a math class. However, our job, like it says, is to make people feel seen, heard, and, and see themselves in the content and in the curriculum. And so no matter who's in front of us, we have to think that there is somebody in front of us that needs to be seen. Oh, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, no, I, and I feel like I couldn't agree with you more. And I think maybe that's, um, a perfect closing for us, a good way to, to end things off that, you know, we want our students to be seen and heard and just, just welcomed. I mean, especially after everything that we went through in 2020, I feel like now, now's the time, you know, now's the time to, if we're going to change and transform anything in education, it's how we can help our students a little bit more. So. Awesome. Yeah. All right, that was a good one, I think. Um, all right, I'm Shanna Anderson. And I'm Robin Perkins. And this again is Inquiries into Mathematics. Thanks for listening.